Flute Cast with Steven and Eric, the geekiest flute podcast in the whole wide world. Hello and welcome to the Flute Cast, first episode of season three. <laughs> <laughs> Season three. We're like old professionals at this now. Yeah. Hey, you're supposed to see the date and stuff. What date is it? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Is it like the 20... I think it's the 29th. Maybe it, 28th? Yeah, 34th of January. Something. Oh, January. Yeah, I was going to see. Yeah. And, uh, cheers. Cheers. So, we're sitting here in Norway in Eric's house because... We've always had this idea about doing a flute cast and drinking wine at the same time. <laughs> so it's quite early on in the day. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. We haven't yet had lunch. I am not a big drinker. I'm a lightweight. You're hardcore, though. Come on. So um, yeah, I'm hardcore. I, I also just want to say, though... But I mostly do heroin. And, uh... I can't say that on the flute cast. That's just joking, everybody. <laughs> He's joking. Please don't do drugs. It's very bad for you. Also, we do not encourage... Drinking during the daytime and, of course, drink responsibly at yeah, all times. But this episode has an, a 21-year age limit. Yes, it has so, a rating of 21 so years. if you're more. younger than 21, please... Switch off now. Now. Okay, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so, how are you? Tell us all about your fluting adventures, because you have been a busy boy. Um, I'm good. I have a good friend visiting me. Can oh, you yeah. guess who it is? Mm, is he a flute player? Yeah. I don't know. Is it me? Yes! <laughs> so we've had a nice morning playing some flutes, but you, tell me about your, tell us about your flute things that have been going on, because you've been busy, you've been touring, and... From uh, January this year, this is I've nice been... wine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been subbing as um, solo flute at playing the Phantom of the Opera at the Folketeater in Oslo that's fancy stuff that was really cool what and is your so favourite song from Phantom of the Opera all of them and I love it I love everything night time sharpens my favourite one is it, is it difficult to play yeah oh is it tricky because I've done I've done you know I've done uh, Sound of Music before and yeah. I would say it's like Twice as hard. So, which is the moment in Phantom that you used to go, oh god, here we go? Uh, from the beginning of the first, from the opening, because I was just uh, subbing. And I didn't have any rehearsal first, I just stepped oh, in uh, for the first flute. But let's say you know, let's say you weren't subbing and you'd done it like 3,000 times. What was the hardest bit of Phantom? I don't know. I think a lot of things were quite technically difficult. Interesting. And how big was the band? Uh, we were two flutes, two clarinets, uh, French horn, bassoon. I couldn't see the strings from where I was sitting, but I guess they were like five or six or something like that. And mm. there were three is it, um, keys. Is it on click track? Some of it was uh, on click track, but I didn't use the click. Oh, really? I hate yeah. click track. Yeah, really it just puts me off more times than it puts me on. Is that an expression? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, but then you were doing some cool... Improvisation projects as well. Yeah, Tromsø International Film Festival uh, hired me and four other musicians. One who's playing oud. That's a, a what is an oud? It's an Arabic lute. An Arabic lute. And a woman who's her name's Lina Petrova, and she's playing the accordion and singing. Oh yeah, I saw that. That looked and, really good. And we had um, a tablas playing player from. Oh, that's India. like an Indian instrument. percussion instrument, and a Western uh, percussionist from uh, Russia. Cool. And, and we composed the music, and like mostly the comp composing part was um, deciding the frames for the improvisation. And was it totally different every night? Yeah, but... The, or did you steal some bits that you thought were good from the night before? Yeah. yeah right. Definitely. We were accompanying a silent movie, silent film. And it was the same film every night? Yes. That is so cool. <laughs> what an amazing project. That was But yeah, are you about cool. to tour it to Russia? Yeah. Later. You're like the new Emmanuel Pahu. And the new Stephen Clark. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm taking some time you're off. The, you're the new Eric. <laughs> well, I'm quite happy to be uh, relaxing for a bit. Oh, awesome. Good for you. Cheers to that. Cheers. Busy boy. Yeah. So, 
we have just had this long chat about flute posture. <laughs> this is like the theme of the day. Yeah. Because I don't know if you get this, but I get so many people contacting me every time they see a video or a picture. Never really at a live concert, I have to say, but online. Criticizing, if that's the right word. My flute posture. Correcting you. Correcting, that's a better word. Yeah. My flute posture. Because they don't, they don't just say, they don't criticize, they just say, you're wrong. You're doing it wrong. And it absolutely... Steven, you're holding the flute wrong. It drives me insane. It drives... It didn't used to drive me insane, but over the last like week, it started to drive me insane. Because then I say back to them... Because, you know, I try and be really nice. I don't want to be like an arrogant pain in the ass and say, well, you're wrong. So I just say, okay, I'm open-minded. Like, maybe they're right. But you can almost always tell, even just by their profile picture, <laughs> if they're right or not. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I was like, well what should I do? And they should hold it up straight. And I was like, what difference is that going to make? And they say, you'll sound better. And I was like, how? How will I sound better? You look better. Well, they don't have any answer when you ask them that. Because I think they're, I think a lot of this just comes from maybe flute players who have been taught in the American band method, which we don't really have in the UK. Do you have that here? Uh, we have a very strong uh, band tradition in Norway. Right. And and I know that oh, I should be very careful about what I say, but okay, I will say it anyway. Just like, say it. Uh, uh, His royalty, the majesty of Norway, is um, guard, like the well, like the patron. Yeah, he like, puts his name to the band. Yeah, yes, yeah. Pa- but we call but they patron. are they are eighteen year olds uh, serving and. And they get to play one year in this band. Right. And I know that they um, are required to hold their flutes and clarinets. Like and really and upright and, and straight? Yeah, because they their priority is looking good. Oh, so it's a visual thing. Yeah. And I think... <gasps> oh <my God. laughs> Don't drop the wine. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> um, Look, who's, I can just see the little logo of JP. This is the little red cup. Hello. So we've got to go side on. Trevor James Flutes. For the ones who are listening, this we are live on Instagram at the same time. So. Oh yes, we are. Sorry, we should have explained that. But, I, but what I wanted to say is that uh, I think in a lot of cases, people hear what they see. Mm, so if you, if you look good, uh, and I'm not talking about like uh, having nice facial features, yeah. but... Uh, I think that if it looks good, a lot of people perceive it as being very good. If you look professional, people perceive you as being professional, and they're from their dress for I, the job. I you don't want disagree with blah, blah, that blah. actually. Like sometimes I see people come on stage, and I'm like, "Wow, you're, you haven't even changed from what you were," you know. But at the same time, I don't think it's necessary to wear white tie and tails anymore. I think I hate wearing tails at work. I like to be a little more. I don't own. A pair of tails. Do you know? How have you managed to get this far without having to wear tails? They're the worst. They're the, I've actually destroyed about three pairs. Because sitting on them, I sit on them. You know, like, I don't flip the, the tail bit. Mm-hmm. Sit on them and then it rips the thing. I love the look of people sitting down and like... You have to flip them, yeah. It's really frustrating. It's just not comfortable. I think we've spoken about this before in the Flutecast, actually, about girls and boys, different concert dress. But do you... Th- like, if I saw a flute player... And they had this really, like, military pose. Like, everything really upright. Like, really rigid and upright. By looking at them, I would assume they're not going to be very good. Is that terrible? Like... I don't know. I... But then, also, on the opposite end, if I saw someone with, like, really sloppy, you know, like, terrible posture, then I would assume the same as well. But... I've heard good players who are really, like, um... Oh, me standing too. like a soldier. Me too. That is true. My issue with this whole, like obsession about posture or the way we're holding the flute isn't that I think there's a right way or a wrong way to do it it's that you do what gives you the best result and everyone's physiology is different and for me as well it's and for all of us it's about in injury prevention isn't it yeah and I look at all my heroes and my teachers none of whom did have this incredibly straight thing like I put this post on Instagram today about like all these flute legends holding the flute in a kind of similar way. And from the ones that I have met or had lessons with or spoken to or or read about, I don't think any of them ever had any issues. Galway, for example, has never had a single 
pain from playing the flute as far as I'm aware it's something he's spoken about it's something I've spoken to him and his wife about and they they just don't have pain and he probably has played more concerts than any other flute player alive yeah and so I think there's something in that and yes he's he's a slightly shorter guy than I am and our bodies are all very different but I think there's got to be something in that if he is playing and has had a career spanning gosh how many years now 60 years if not longer touring all the time playing the most incredibly difficult repertoire night after night after night and has never had an injury or a stress thing you've got to say well what he does works yeah for him for him for him him, yeah Yeah. so why would anyone correct someone else when it works for them is my point is the wine gone to my head and i'm not explaining myself very well already no i'm just kidding do you know what i mean though i do know and so when someone says stand up straight i'm like well why why must i have my flute totally parallel to the floor why if you can give me a reason and i think it makes sense and i try it and it makes a difference to my playing i'll absolutely make that effort to change 20 years of habit sure but i don't feel like i'm ever having any stress in my shoulders or pain in my neck like i never ever feel sore from playing the flute i had my first i wouldn't say injury but my first experience with pain like flute related pain last year in the easter what happened um i had two performances with quite difficult repertoire and uh, i had just they called me it was like thursday and the performance is on sunday and it i don't remember what i played but it was super hard like vidor sweet Right. Hard. God, with two days' notice. And, I don't think I'm going to play the first movement in two days. I just isolated myself for some days uh, to learn it. <laughs> right. And, and then uh, I could actually see from, because I was videotaping myself, yeah. I could see my shoulder raised in the... Oh, really? Your yes. left shoulder? Yes. And then I had to take a whole week off after. Hmm. But uh, normally I have more time. Why would you raise your left shoulder, though? I don't know because of stress, not because oh, I see, of. Uh, right. Yeah. You have quite. You have a slightly more sh- upright, straight posture to me. I'm not sure. I think you do, but you're also taller than me. A lot taller than me. I'm really? such a wee short <laughs> ass. Um, I'm just looking at this incredible view. You guys can't see this unbelievable view of what we have right now. It's literally look at the pink sky and the blue water. It's actually amazing. Anyway, um, so this has been an interesting thing. What else has been happening? For you, that's brought up your interest. Did you see that video of Denis Buryakov playing the Tchaikovsky flute, eh, violin concerto? No words. Isn't it ridiculous? <laughs> ridiculous? If you guys haven't seen this, you got to check this out. This is like flute technique to another level. I mean, it's just... It's, I think it, it should be impossible. It should be possible to do it on alto flute and then... Like, I don't know. Because everything's going on on the foot joint, isn't it? It's uh, just... It's just like... I can't even get a low B out half the time. And he's like... And I'm like, whoa. I mean, it really is like... But I think the flute is just a different instrument in his hands. Well, technically, like if you take the technique of it, he does... And this is the other thing I really like, is that his way of playing is so unorthodox. You know, like, he doesn't hold the position in the way you'd expect. His fingers aren't how we're taught to he play. He really obvious. holds the flute like, like this almost, if you look in the... And his fingers like, would go... You know, it's like everything yeah. we're taught not to do on paper. And his embouchure is on the side. Like, all these things. Yeah, you, he's playing things that most of us can't even get close to. Yeah, I didn't know it was possible to do what he did there. <laughs> there is a lesson to be learned, I think. Yeah. Of course, like I, when I'm teaching or when I'm practicing, like I want things to be as good as they can be. But he, when you get people like that who just break the mold, and you think, well, maybe I should just not think so much about what the textbook says. And what did you quit, see earlier yeah. that said was you said a brilliant line earlier? Stop listening with your eyes and like, listening with your ears or something? No, I just said to the people who are obsessed with the way other people are holding their instruments close your eyes and listen instead oh that was it close your eyes and listen yeah it's good it's good though cheers to that cheers (laughs) so but because i've been getting some comments too on that i am moving too much while i'm playing and but this is never in real life but in videos right oh you mean like moving around when you're playing i see yeah and i've been thinking that 
is that really that distracting when you're listening to a recording from Spotify or a CD or an LP or something you don't really know whether or not this person is moving or not do you I wonder how um, if there are ever situations in recording where the person is moving so much and the engineer has to say you know you're getting like the change of sound on the microphone I don't <laughs> know I don't know if, happens. if anyone's got experience let us know I've never experienced that have you? no but but I don't move that much. No, no, no. So. But some people, I mean, do you ever watch anyone and they do move too much? I have watched, um, I think it was Konzerthaus Orchestra in Berlin. They were playing Daphnis and both first flute and second flute were almost dancing oh, like, really? all the time. Like but, in sync with each other? Yes. But, and it wasn't distracting to me. It was more fascinating. Yeah. It's a long time ago. This must have been in 2006. So I don't know who they were, but it sounded amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, I guess that's the most important. I know that some people would say that if you are moving, your expression is going into your dancing or you're moving rather than the, the playing. And I understand the logic of that. I'm kind of open-minded about it. I... I <coughs> I have seen concerts where I've sat there and I have found it distracting. I think if you move with the phrase, it's okay. But if you're conducting yourself, like conducting the rhythm or the, yeah. the key signature, if, you, if you're like, okay, I'm going to demonstrate for the listeners of the podcast and not the viewers, it's not going to make sense. But uh, you, can, you can explain to them what I'm doing. Okay. You know, if I'm playing in 4-4 and I'm doing like this. Oh, so like almost beating the time out with the end of your flute. Yeah, I think that's uh, that sounded lovely, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I do know what you mean. Um, I, there's two sides of the argument, I guess, because there's people who are looking expressive but not sounding expressive, and so you would, and then there are other people who you would say stop moving, and suddenly they don't sound expressive anymore because they have they're focusing all their energy on not moving. Yeah. So it's a really tricky one. I guess like, the answer, again, is everyone's individual and you have to do what is right for you. And... But I think while, for example, practicing scales, there's no uh, reason to be moving. I don't know what I do. Like, I, I, I do think about it sometimes, but in the concert, I tend not to think about it because I'm concentrating on earning my living do you know what I mean like I just want to add a little bit of a disclaimer to this conversation it's this is our opinions right oh yeah so of course of course I'm sure there are a lot of opinions out but there you know and I don't want to there's nothing wrong with having an opinion because at the end of the day we only have an opinion because we really care about what we do and also you know part of our time is spent with other perhaps younger or less experienced musicians coming to us for our advice true in teaching, in classes and master classes and workshops and you know, play with a pro Skype lessons, all these things. So you have to have an opinion or you can never teach. True. And actually, do you know, recently we discovered that we have a different opinion about one thing. Oh, tell me. The right hand thumb. Yes, placement. we do have a different opinion about that. Yeah. And I feel so strongly about the right hand thumb. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel so strongly about your way. Yeah. But the thing is, Earlier on, when we were looking about the right-hand thumb, and I said, well, this is my reason for not putting it like that, you were listening for something completely different to me. Yeah. So, I guess we're our, in our imagination of what is a perfect sound or perfect flute playing is different. Of course. And that's the beauty of this, yeah. isn't it? That's why there, you know, there's only one Eric and there's only one Stephen and there's only one uh, True. Galway and Pahud and... Yeah. All these other flute players, you know. I love being mentioned. Thank you very, very yeah. wrong. Thank you very, very wrong. I'm not comparing anybody to anybody. But you know what I mean? Like, everybody sounds so unique and different. And actually, I love this idea of teaching and... My cat is... Uh, oh, yeah, of course. My cat wants a feature. Do you want... Where is she gone? She's under the table. Oh, yeah, I can just see her tail sticking out. Um... I guess the idea is to be like the best Eric and the best Stephen and, you know, whoever's practicing the flute, the best version of themselves rather than yeah. a copy of someone else. But at the same time, I think it's important we listen to people who we admire and we respect and who have a huge amount of experience and 
and take their advice. And if, they, if there's a reason that you should put your thumb there or do something else yeah. and it's sensible and it makes sense and it, it allows you to progress and show improvement, then we should make the effort to yeah. employ that into our playing. And I think uh, one thing that's really important is that um, listen to your current professor. If your professor tells you to place your thumb like this or like that, do that because there's a reason why you're studying with this person and when you're done studying with them you can do what you want okay so have you ever had a flute lesson or a class or anything where someone has told you to do something and you didn't agree or didn't like it of course and what do you do i do i did what they told me and actually with i'm not going to be mentioning names because that's not nice me neither (laughs) but i one of the people i was studying with when I was young and a lot less mature than now. Still a lot of maturing to do, of course. Uh, but, um, and cheers to that. Cheers. Um, but this teacher, and this actually had a lot to do with the placement of the right hand. Oh, really? What were they yeah. saying or what were you saying? Uh, no, I don't want to go into that because uh, it might be obvious who I'm talking about. Ah, but, okay. but we were disagreeing. And I, I didn't do this, so I was told, and it became a big problem between us. In the and lesson or a master class? Like in uh, like multiple lessons of, over a period of oh, time. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and today I regret it. I should have done what I was told, and uh, now I don't take lessons now. So now I can do what I want, and there's no one yeah. who can tell me I'm right or wrong. I've definitely had this situation where people have suggested things, maybe a musical idea that I just didn't like, but, you know, for respect for them, and also just to make life a little easier in the lesson, just play it how they want and then never play it like that again. Yeah. But I did have this one situation where I was playing in a master class and I was probably like 22. You know, I'd graduated, but I was attending a master class and I was asked if I'd like to play and I did. And I played Mozart G major, flute concerto. And, um, I have to confess, I, d- I wasn't familiar with this particular player. But that's fine. I still was happy to have the opportunity. It wasn't in the country that I am from or live in. And um, I went to play in this class. And from the minute I met this guy, I didnn't like him. <laughs> Do you know, like, because he had such an ego and he was so arrogant. And we are human beings and not all human beings get along. So, no, but I like I really have such strong thoughts about arrogance in music making. We've spoken about this so many times. Like I think we're so privileged and lucky to do this, and yeah. we're in this position where we're working with something which you can't quantify or you can't. <laughs> Sorry, I think she, he agrees with me. Um, you can't just tick the box to say it's right or wrong most of the time, and um, and um, what am I? I'm, I'm distracted now. What am I saying? <laughs> You know, and I just hate these people that their their ego and this uh, this desire to show off and and you know comes before the music is what I'm saying. It, it really cat, frustrates me. I'm sorry, I'm so disrupted by the cat. She's playing with a rubber band, and I don't know why she's That's meowing. Right. I think she's having fun. Okay. It's really cold in Norway, so she's not. She's an outdoor cat, and um, now she's inside all the time. I think oh. she needs uh, more stimuli. Sorry. It's okay. So <laughs> I turned up at this master class and this chap walks up to me. And because I didn't know who he was, of course I'd Googled him by this point, but because I didn't know who he was, I didn't recognize him. I didn't know what he looked like. And I'm pretty sure if I said the name, it's not someone most of you would be familiar with. Maybe. I don't know. Is it someone I'm familiar with? No, 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 no. Like so oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to whisper in Eric's ear, but he said no. Do you know who that is? No. No, me neither. Um. <laughs> anyway. It's the wine. It's the wine. <laughs> so um, he, he walked up to me and he said, like, name. And the, of course, the audience are already there. And I went, Stephen. And he went, Francais or, well, how would you say German? In German? Yeah, I guess so. Deutsch? I say we'd like Francais or Deutsch. <laughs> I mean, I can't quite remember. And I was like, English. Because <laughs> I thought he was asking, where am I from? Although I, was, I probably said Scottish to be fair, or British. <laughs> and he went, true. no, 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 Francais or Deutsch. And I was like, British. And someone went, no, he's asking, do you want, 
do you speak French? Are you going to do the class in French or German? And I was like, English? Like, I don't speak German <laughs> at all. And my French is very minimal. So he's like, he was really arrogant and cocky about it. And he was like, well, you know, tough. So I was like, Francais. So off we went. We did this master class in French. Est-ce que tu parles français? Yeah, on parle français petit peu. Petit peu. Um, Parce que je le veux bien. Not a clue. Um, <laughs> I worked but, that. <laughs> but, um, but, so this class kind of went on. And then he also, oh gosh, it makes me sound like such a terrible human being. But he then would be demonstrating and I wasn't particularly <laughs> impressed, you know, by his demonstrations. Now, of course, there are some really fantastic flute professors and teachers out there who maybe just don't practice anymore because they've had their performing career and they're now focusing on their teaching and I respect that. This guy was apparently right in the heat of his career but it was it wasn't great in my opinion so anyway I of course didn't say this to anyone at the time but I was just thinking oh I was hoping for some kind of more inspiration than that you know and then he had this huge issue with we got to the oh god yes this went on so we got through the whole concerto got to the third movement and then at this point he decides that he shall play the piano and the piano player should not play Oh, really? On the piano or on the flute? On the piano. He wanted. He obviously could ah. play the third movement of Mozart G major on the piano. His one piece. Like, I can do I Dreamed a Dream from Les Miserables. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Mozart G major, third movement was his thing. So yeah. he pushes the piano player out of the way. And he sits down and bangs through this accompaniment, dreadfully. And then he got his, his this like massive issue with, you know the bit in the third movement of Mozart G major... Just before the cadenza, it goes da 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 da. That's what it is. Da da da. Now I was playing a C sharp. Da 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 D C sharp D C sharp D. And he was like, no 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 C natural. I think it was that. And I hated it. I was like, that doesn't sound right. But he was adamant that it should be. Does it start on a D? Yeah, da da. It's just in D major. What? It was something like that. But just the first. Play the first one with a C sharp. But all of them C sharp. And now play just the first one C natural and the rest C sharp. This one? Yeah. Okay. I think that's what he wanted. But it wasn't written in my part. And I just didn't like it. So I was like... Uh... But I kind of lost so much respect for him because he was being a real pain in the ass. He was being so arrogant. He wasn't really doing anything but showing off. He was like banging away in the piano trying to show off with his piano skills I mean it was bad and I just remember thinking I don't like it and I just kind of at this point I'd given up and I went, how old were you? like 22 maybe okay oh no <laughs> and, he, he kept, and of course we're trying to do this in like French as well it was all a disaster and the, so, the audience weren't French or German they were from another European country and um, it was just all I just remember thinking I don't, I don't want to play anymore I'm done and he kept going on and on and on about it and I just went I don't like it I'm really sorry did but you I, say that? Yeah, I said, I think it sounds really... Un- no, I said, I don't like it. And he went, why not? And I said, because it's not musical. And Parce he, que c'est pas musical. Someone translated this for me. Oh. And I went, it's not musical to me. And he went, huh, okay then. <laughs> we just continued on. <laughs> Next. I, yeah, it was really awkward. And I remember finishing going, that was the biggest waste of time. Like, I learned nothing. All I learned was that this guy can play the third movement of the Mozart G major flute concerto piano part relatively badly. <laughs> and I was just so angry I was like I really came to learn and be inspired and motivated and educated and I didn't really get that from this guy I'm, I have to confess I've never heard from him ever again I've never seen a concert listing or a class listing or should we google him oh but, I can't my phone oh, but right by the way Stephen um, I think uh, it's about time for us to finish mm. our live because we have a very special well, guest coming up Yay. and I hope he is fine that with us uh, having been drinking <laughs> <laughs> I think he will be <laughs> I think he will be do you cool. think he has been drinking no, <laughs> no he's very professional at the height of his powers so thank you guys for joining us for the first part we shall be back uh, real soon with our special guest so for now let's take this little flutty commercial break um, first cheers, cheers. then a flutty commercial break ciao Welcome back to the Flutecast and our very special guest, uh, Sean Paul Wright from Trevor James Flutes. How are you, JP? Hello there, all. Hello. I'm really, really well. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Eric. 
Are we allowed to call you JP? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, you can call me anything. I don't care. <laughs> I answer to anything. I've only ever really known you as JP, and then it's only when I hear you doing your own podcast and you call yourself Jean-Paul, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's his name. <laughs> yeah, do you know, I should really call myself JP because everybody calls me JP. So, yeah. But what, it's my alter ego. What does your mum call you? Ah, uh, JP. Oh, don't really. Ah, oh, there you go. If, if parents call you JP, then everyone is allowed to call you JP. That's the rules. Yeah, but my kids don't call me JP, so... Well, they call you dad, right? They call him anything. No, no, no. We have this weird thing in our house where we all call each other different names. Ah, so what do they call you? Uh, punk. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Well, we're very, very excited to have you on our podcast. <laughs> Thank you. We, we, I'm honoured to be on. Well, we when it's when Eric and I um when we first decided who we're going to have on, your name was right at the top of the list, of course. But you're a very busy man, so it's been it's been um we've had to wait a while to get all the schedules lined up so that we can um we can get you here. And in fact, have you not just landed in this morning or yesterday from somewhere exotic? Would you call LA exotic, would you? Well, if you've never been to LA, I think it's exotic. If you have been to LA, then maybe not so exotic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I've just landed from um, a few days at the uh, NAM uh, Music Show, which is the world's largest music uh, show for dealers and traders of, um, from around the world. And so your, your job is, what is your official job title? At TJ. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really into titles, but my official title, do I put a posh voice on it? Yes, please. We is, need a fully posh voice. Right. My name is Jean-Paul Wright, and I am managing director of Trevor James Flutes. Ah, okay. I, was, so, I yeah, didn't actually know it, what it was. And so do you always go to all the, the big trade shows every year with, like, the ones like Nam and things like that? No, I don't normally go to them. The... Um, the staff go, they go to uh, most of the shows and we have distribution network around the world so our distributors will do local shows but the NAM one is the most important one and it's the one where I go out purely to network and party and have a few drinks and and these things get quite silly, really. these things are quite full on from my experience like they're exhausting but they're good fun at the same time yeah they are full on, I mean the show starts at uh, 10 in the morning finishes at 6 but then it's very full on in the evenings as well because there's parties and there's there's just lots of music and the NAM show isn't really the major one for our flute for our TJ flute that's the NSA of each course. year yeah um, the NAM show is more really for and I know this is a flute cast it's for our pro range of saxophones which we do wonderfully, wonderfully well with. So um, that's see. the reason I go out there, just to uh, mix with the other side. Did you bring the little red cup? <laughs> um, I do. I forgot him. I forgot the little red cup this time. <laughs> do you have him there with you? I have him there with me now, but he's been a bit of a nuisance. Hang on. Actually, do you want to speak to him? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, want to, do you want to tell your audience who the Little Red Cup is? Or do you think they will know? Well, I think for our Instagram followers, for example, Jean-Paul is probably the most famous non-seen flute player <laughs> in the world. Because you have these, this I huge am. Instagram account, but you never post your own, your own self on it. It's always other people or, or your products at TJ. And then, of course, you have this other account called the Little Red Cup, which is hugely popular now. What is the, what is the Instagram <laughs> handle? Is it just at Little Red Cup? It is. So if you go check this it out, is. at Little Red Cup. And the Little Red Cup is essentially JP's coffee cup, who has its own personality as someone who sits on the sidelines of this enormous flute manufacturing company. And uh, it keeps us all very entertained. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hello, it's my mates here. It's Stephen and Eric. Hello. Can we get rid of this flutey tootin geezer? He bores me. No, he's got to come back. He's got to come back because we have so many things that we have written no. down that we're going to ask him. 
No, 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 no. I'm a little red cup. I'm famous. People love me. <laughs> we they do. They love talking to me. So, oh, do you want to speak to him again, do you? Yes, do you please. Let's have JP back. Bye. Okay. Bye. Oi, oi, Flutie, Flutie, over here. They want to speak to you for some reason. Hello, I'm back again. Oh, you're back. We were concerned there for a second. So, JP, we have so much we want to ask you. So, tell us about your flute playing at the beginning. When did it all start for you? Oh, crikey. Um, do, you know, do, we, do you want to know the honest truth when it won't start it? Yes. There's, there's, two, there's two stories. Firstly, I started as a percussionist. And um, when I realised all the girls played the flute, I decided to change the flute. That's one story. Right. But the real story, the real story is I came downstairs, I was about nine years old. Uh, it might have been ten years old. And my mum was a very sort of old-fashioned English lady. In other words, if she had chopped off a finger, for example, she would have said, it doesn't matter, I've got another four more. Um, <laughs> so it's quite strong. Yet, yet I came downstairs and she was in tears. And she was in tears. And I asked her, why are you crying, mum? And she said, listen to this. And it was Jimmy Galway playing uh, London Derriere. Oh, wow. And the real, it was. And I thought, well, if, if this flute player can make my mum cry, then I want some of this power. And that's <laughs> the genuine reason why I started the flute, because I wanted to make her cry. Now, I obviously, I've obviously made her cry so many times since, but um, not through my flute playing, I must say. <laughs> but, now, I have a bit of a story about your flute playing. I, ho- I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I was talking to a very <laughs> well-known flute player once um, who had been attending some flute event with Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull, of course, superstar yeah. legend. And there'd been a few different people that were playing at this event, and one of which was you, I believe, and anyway, everyone was there to see Ian Anderson, and he got up and they played. And then you got up and you played um, Finger Busters by Mike Moore and apparently stole the show. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember that. But I think the advantage of Finger Busters is your fingers are going so fast, no one actually knows what you're playing anyway, do they? No, but they are hard. Like, I think you sell yourself. You, you kind of um, are very humble about your flute playing. I think you have been an incredibly capable flute player. I must agree. And in fact, you played professionally for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I did for a little while. And then I, I realised that I wasn't that good. So I, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I deviated off. And so what... I became the Banksy of, I became the Banksy of the flute world. Invisible. <laughs> Tell, tell us a bit about your playing, your playing kind of side of things and, and where it took you and kind of any favourite memories or how you dealt with the, the stress of having to play to big audiences all the time in that environment. Yeah, well, my life started off very differently. Is that um, I went to, um, when I was at school, I was in the local youth orchestra, county youth orchestra and youth concert band and things. And then I went to, to London and studied with Jim Dower, the great Jim Dower, who sadly was taken from us very early. And Jim uh, was very, very good at teaching and bring, really bringing a sense of reality to one's playing. And Jim said, look, you're a very good player, but at this moment in time, if you were to go to music college, you'd be sort of swallowed up. Um, so he actually recommended, of all things, I join the army. And I spent nine years in the Band of the Grenadier Guards in London, oh. actually doing nothing apart from doing state occasions, uh, Princess Diana's wedding and lots of things like that. And, and going around the world sort of as a soloist in that genre. Right. And then when I came out, I spent quite a bit of time uh, doing freelance work, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And what people won't know and I'm sort of, is that I was a very successful runner. Uh, I was an international runner in my youth, and I came in touch with sports psychology very, very early. So I didn't really, because I managed to apply some of the techniques I'd learned from sports psychologists with my new, with my flute playing, I really managed to sort of understand sort of generally where I was with my playing. Yes, I could play lots of things, and... I was more of a technician than a tonal person. In other words, my fingers could fly around, but I always found that my, the depth of my tone was lacking. And um, am I right in thinking that you've kind of 
um, taken your your um, psychology side of things and you now lecture musicians on performance practices and psychology. Is that right? I do. I give hooks. I give a lot of hooks. I spent uh, probably I spent years and years studying psychology and did my training in clinical and medical hypnosis, just to use as a tool. So yeah, I, I I speak to not only sports people but also to musicians and actors wow. on the use of. Not I'm going to say performance psychology, but just I'm very much a brief strategic therapist. In other words, how to get over should you get a little blip. Right. And we all have those moments blip. all the time. Yeah, every single person does, you know, and it's, it's okay, really, to, to have a blip. I think the biggest issue I say to people is, you know, if, you, if you're finding your, this blip's coming up or you're getting anxious, allow yourself to be anxious. Don't try and fight it, because as soon as you fight it, then it becomes like a potential pre- pressure cooker. And when it becomes a pressure cooker, then it deviates you off. So accept it, say hello, and then hopefully that will ease the uh, feelings. And so when you were in the military and you were playing these enormous occasions, like Princess Diana's wedding, where it was televised to, I dread to think how many people, millions and millions, did you feel the pressure? Did the, the, the orchestra, the band as a whole, could you feel them tense up a little bit? No, not at all. <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't know what it is. I, I actually turned the feelings of, when I was younger, um, I don't know who, I, I think I may credit my first flute teacher with this, who said the physiology of nerves is exactly the same as, as when you're feeling excited. So all you've got to do is when you start feeling this emotion come up, just flick it to be in something of excitement rather than nerves. And I've always done that. So no, I mean, you mentioned where is, what's my, if I was going to be salesmanly nervous, I suppose uh, a little bit of nerve popped up when I did, once did the Ebert Concerto in a cathedral in Spain in a place called Haka. Um, and I was trying to play the middle movement uh, certain part of it by memory and I was in danger of deviating off. So I can, <laughs> I've I had a few moments to... like that <laughs> in my life. <laughs> do you know, I know what bit it was as well. <laughs> was, was it the bit where the solo violinist comes in as well and you do this like little... Yes. Oh my God, the amount of times I've made that bit up entirely. And, and I think maybe the <laughs> violinist has made it up as well a few times and somehow we all just finish at the right place at the right time. Yeah, that's exactly the... <laughs> I know the bit. You know, it's a tricky piece that you bear. I find with flute players, like every flute player, professional flute player should have to at some point in their life play the e-bear because if you can do that nerve-wise, you can probably do most things. Yes, absolutely. And whereas the first and last movement is technical, that middle movement is just so beautiful. And you can ruin and... it so easily with a bad last note on that movement. And that's a really hard note, that's oh, the, the D-flat. Yeah. I, I'm standing there, the whole movement going, oh my God, this D-flat's coming up. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, my, yeah, my life, and I sort of deviated off. It got to the point when uh, I'd been in the military and I had the opportunity to come out and go and work for a flute company and sort of presented itself. And... I think I was the first one to act in the sort of the flute business to actually take on a role like this. And you know, I've been here far too long. I'm now, I've been here 27 years now. So. Uh, and so, um, how many years had you been working in the retail flute industry, if I can call it that, before you took your current job with Trevor James? Because when I first I met did. you, you were with a different yeah. company, if I remember right. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Well, yes, you can. I was. It was. It's the same company, but it was an offshoot. Right. So it was called Mears. It was a, it was the Mearsdale UK. So it was the Mearsdale right. Flute. Um, I remember meeting you in Edinburgh for the first time with the directors of Mearsdale Flutes. Yeah, Yamamoto San. Yeah, yes. they were really and nice people. Yeah, had a good day. Yeah, you were you were a very young lad now, but I was. You were, I think we went there. We were there with Catherine Bryant, if I remember, and we, you stole the show. You were phenomenal. I just remember you guys ploughing us with lots of wine. <laughs> I remember having many glasses of wine and then thinking, I need to get a gold flute. That's when the wine did its job. I, I ended up getting a flute. But um, so I didn't realise they were all linked under the same kind of umbrella company. 
Yes, there is. Yeah, there was. There's, there's offshoots. So we there's Miazal UK, then there was Sankyo, and obviously the Trevor James. But it's a way of just keeping each brand separated. And obviously, if you're looking at Miazal, you're looking at very different players than if you're looking at Sankyo sure. and if you're looking at Trevor James. Um, so yeah, and you know, I've been here for the last 27 years. And you may be interested. What, what I'm doing at the moment is I'm taking a sabbatical from flute playing for a reason. Right. Right, I've got three months to go, okay. and then I would have not, I would have not played a note on the flute for a year. Really, really. And are yeah. you are you looking and forward to playing it again? Yeah, the reason is is I want to know what it's like to actually blow and try and play the flute after a year, because so wow. many people stop playing the flute, and so many people uh, when they're at school or when they've finished university have stopped because they have lives and they get on they go do other things and i wanted to know how long does it actually take to get your chops back when you haven't been playing for a long time that is a really to interesting question people, yeah to encourage people to actually say no you may not be playing for five years 10 years 20 years but i stopped playing for a year and this is how my process is to get back so yeah three months to go and how long is your guess that it'll take you to get back You know, can I be super confident? I, I, I'm always... Eh. Yeah, be, be, you know, don't be humble, be honest. <laughs> humble? Me? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping to, to, after 16 weeks to get... Um, so to what's get that, three back. months? I know I'm very, three to four months? Yeah, I'm being very optimistic, bearing in mind I have a day job to do as well. But, um, yeah, I'm hoping 12 to 16 weeks... However, I've got a bit of a problem here, is that, as you rightly point out, I say, I keep my face hidden on Instagram, so I don't know how, how, how I'm going to achieve, uh, how, I, I'm, how I'm going to put it all together. I know how you can do it. You know these TV shows where you get, like, the magician's secrets revealed? <laughs> and you've always got, like, this magician with a mask on. You have to be, like, the flute player guy with the mask on. We just have to cut you, like, a little embouchure hole space. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that idea. This is I a new take on the mask, mask off challenge. The, the what challenge? The mask off challenge. What's the mask off challenge? <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask Ariane. Okay, <laughs> I'm not very up on these things. You know, I, I was once told, that I don't know if this is true, that for every one day you don't practice, it takes you two days to get back. So if that rule is, if that rule works, then you've got another two years to wait before you get back. But, but actually, you know, I took a, in um, 2010. I didn't play the flute at all for a whole year, 2010 to 2011, and I did my first concert back in April, which was month four. So I reckon it took me about the same time as you're guessing. But who knows? Yeah, bearing in mind, you you probably went back and were practicing quite a lot. Yeah, that's I had true. many other that's things true. I had to do. So, yeah, so, but I just have a, I have a good crack. I love the flute. I love flute players. And I love the community, which is so important. And you guys, I mean, you just take, you take the flute to different levels. Well, we, we both In love... different parts of the world. We love Trevor James flutes. We were just talking about this. One of the things that we love about it, and actually it's kind of linked into what you're saying, is that you guys are so open-minded and so experimental about yeah. things that you make and things you want to try. Like, like this process of, you know, not playing for a whole year. Who else would ever even consider doing that? And I love your kind of ingenuity and, and your, your kind of modern take on flute playing, if you like. Um, and you've come up with some really cool things. We both have Trevor James flutes we adore. You've got loads of them, uh, Eric. What have you got? I have a lot, too. I have. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was more than two. And, and my wooden head joints. Oh, the well. head joint. The head joint, of course. And uh, you guys, are you guys making head joints fully out of wood now to sell? Yes, we are. Oh. Um, we are. Yeah, we are making them. Um, we've managed to support, uh, source some sustainable grenadilla, which is obviously important nowadays. Right. So, yeah, we are we beginning the process of making uh, grenadilla wood heads again, yeah. And do you, is there like a trend in that certain countries tend to buy certain products and other countries buy different things? Like, if an order came through, could you guess what country it was going to by the order? If it was in line, in line mechanism, yes, France. 
That, do you know, this is so true. I was in Paris um, just a week ago and in the big flute shop, they didn't have a single flute that wasn't in line. I couldn't believe it. No, no, and that's exactly right. It's, um, we only produce in my flutes for France. They seem to be resistant to change to offset G, which the rest of the world is, has embraced hugely. Even, do you find even America is now ordering a lot more offset than in line? Yeah, I, I would say it's probably 80-20 now, 80% offset. If we get ordered in for B-flat joints, it's nearly always uh, America, some in Asia or Germany. Oh, really? So B-foot isn't a common yeah. order in the UK? No, no C-sharp trill. Oh, the C-sharp trill. This is like <laughs> the bane of my life at the moment is the C-sharp trill. What's your thoughts of the C-sharp trill, JP? What's my thoughts? Um, I've never had one. I've always played in line, so I've never had one. Um, so I can't give you a bit, an accurate guide as to the benefits of having one. Sure. That said... Everybody I know who's got one swears by it. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I don't have one either, but everyone's telling me I'm crazy not to have one. Like me, because I, I have one and I'm yeah. swearing by it. Do you think that the trend will change in the UK? Can you see that happening, that maybe C-sharp trill will become more popular, or you're not sure? I'm not sure. I can see B-foot joints coming in as probably standard, because you've got people like Ian Clark writing yeah. his music largely, largely to B-flat flutes, and... Most of his music now is on the um, syllabus, the exam yeah. syllabus. So there, there, is, there is a need, I believe, for B-foot. I mean, Claire Southworth and I uh, will probably disagree on this because she's C-foot, but I just think B-foot flutes is just the way to go, really. Do you know what I like about a B-foot? B, a B I have to be careful how I say it. Is I feel like it's a much more manly flute as a boy. <laughs> really? Do you know what I mean? Like When I pick a flute up with a C-joint, I feel like it's like for girls. Do you know what I mean? That I extra bit of length. Every man knows what I'm talking about. So, is there the other thing that I are we, I, am I allowed to talk to you about things that I have seen, like in the in the TJ headquarters? I don't want to give away any secrets. Yeah, yeah. because the other thing I was no, when I last saw you guys is you handed me this flute and you said have a go of this and I played it and I thought what on earth is going on and it was open G sharp yes yeah so is this something you guys are looking into producing as well yeah it, it's as you said earlier we experiment we work on the fact that you, A you've got to have fun with music there's a lot of people that don't have fun and it's they find it quite stressful for us in the flute side to be very very different we just want to have fun so we mess around and David, our technical director, is, um, you know, he's a fan and, and has got a really big knowledge base of the old old flutes, you know, Rudel Clark flutes. Yeah. And he just loves offset G. And with my friendship with people, people sort of professional flute players such as Claire Southworth, who's professor at the Royal Academy of Music in London, who only plays an offset G, we said, well, why not give it a go? Let's make an offset G flute to see whether people like it. Claire seemed to think that everybody would like it. I think the truth is, it, it's a bit, it matches the brain, doesn't it? Oh, you mean open G sharp, not offset. Sorry, I was confused. Yeah, um, yeah it does yeah, a bit. I, I, open G sharp, yeah. But you know, there is, like, there is something that kind of makes sense about it in my brain. It's just a bit of laziness as well, not wanting to relearn as such. For our listeners who don't know what an open G sharp is, it's basically exactly what you have now, but it's backwards. So every time you want to play a G sharp, you lift up your pinky on the G sharp key. And every time you want to play a note that's not G sharp, you have the G sharp key down. Is that right, JP? Am I explaining that right? Absolutely. I'm looking in front of it. Uh, but, in front of me now, and he's exactly right. And it makes complete sense. I feel like you'd have more, you'll have like a better grip, if that's the word on the flute. Yeah, you do. Because you've got um, that extra finger. You said, you've, got, you've, you've got to unlearn it, and that's the, that's the key. You've got to unlearn. Now, I heard a story, yeah, the, I don't know if this is yeah, totally accurate, that Michael Cox, who was one of my teachers at college and is amazing, I'm sure you guys know him very well, he um, decided yeah. he would learn an open G-sharp flute, and it took him a week. So he played, he learned this system he changed over to open g sharp it took him a week or two he played a whole bunch of concerts on it and then he decided he'd go back so he then spent another week going back <laughs> and he did it all within a month 
<laughs> well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you another little story. Claire Felsworth told me is that she did something at the Wigmore Hall that was televised. Um, I think it was a it was a Jimmy Galway masterclass. Uh, it was many, 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 many years ago. And Claire's always played open G sharp. And she started playing, and apparently Jimmy went over and was looking and just sort of didn't say much, but just took a flute off, played like the bumblebee, and then gave it back to her. Didn't say a word. No. So he'd gone from, yeah, he'd gone from, he was looking at what she was doing, and then just sort of played like the bumblebee and just gave it back. And she just said, the genius of the man, that he just went wow. from one system to another and then back again without saying anything. That's crazy. My God. I can't even understand. Like, I would literally have to think so hard just to go from G to G sharp. <laughs> you know, like it would be like back to basics. But then this is why he's superhuman, and and Michael Cox and people like that, and Claire. You know, these are such legends in our industry, and that's why they play so well because they are so skilled in how they play. I guess. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, we have a little game we'd love to play with you, JP, if that's okay. It's new in season three of the flute cast. Because we're this is the first episode of season three. In the past, Eric has always been the games master, but I've decided I want to be the games master. So I have a game, a game uh, where you and Eric will play against each other, and it has a great title. It's called Eric versus JP. <laughs> so, you've got 10 seconds there's three questions you have 10 seconds to think of your answer but don't say your answer out loud until I ask for it okay okay question number one is this how many keys are there on a flute and not just keys that you press but all the keys in total you've got 10 seconds this is so unfair I'm counting down 10 oh no no. Eight. Whoever gets closest wins the point. Seven. Eight. I can hear keys clicking there in the background. Three, two, one. Okay, time's up, time's up. This is the time's up noise. Okay, JP, what's your answer? How many keys or buttons are there on the whole flute? We're talking about a B foot flute, by the way, with no C sharp trill. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't know. I'm going to guess at 18. 18. Okay, Eric? Uh, if there's no C-sharp trill, I can't answer the question. <laughs> okay, you can give me with C-sharp trill. What is it with C-sharp trill? Uh, 25. 25. Okay, minus one for the C-sharp trill. Because <laughs> that was such a complicated mathematical process. Yeah. Takes us to 24. Now, I did do some investigating before this podcast, and I sat with your flute Eric in my hand actually and I uh, answered the question and the answer is exactly 30 good grief 30 buttons and keys so Eric gets a point well done Eric okay question number two I'm having to hide my answers from Eric so he can't see I hope the paper isn't rattling about okay here we go the most expensive flute that ever sold in the world how much was it in American dollars Okay. J- mm-hmm. JP, we're coming to you first. 150,000 US. 150,000 US. Okay, I write this down. Eric? Um, 600,000 US dollars. 600,000 US dollars. Okay. So, the most expensive flute sold for $187,000. However... It sold in 1986, so I did a bit of investigating. Now, because of inflation, that comes to a value in 2019 of $420,620. Oh, my God. So I'm actually going to give you a point each because, JP, you were closest for the original 1986 sale price, but, Eric, you were closest for the 2019 price, including inflation. <laughs> it's because it's, it's I'm very old. I can remember that. Isn't that crazy though? Imagine a flute nowadays selling for four hundred and twenty-one thousand dollars. What what is it made of? Um, it, well, it wasn't a Trevor James flute, so I don't want to say the name. <laughs> it wasn't. It, it wasn't even within the umbrella company. So it was an American brand flute. It was number three six five. It was platinum, solid platinum, zero point. One would it be inches, JP? Do they measure in inches? Zero point yeah. one. Yeah. Zero point one 
inch. It had silver keys. It was inline G. It had open hole and it was B foot. So definitely made for the American market. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was made in 1939. But here's what's really, really bizarre about it. So it went up for sale in 1986. And there was only two people bidding on it. One was like a private art collector and he won the bid. But the other bidder was a guy who was trying to buy it for his nine-year-old daughter. No way! Imagine buying a flute for your nine-year-old daughter that's worth half a million dollars. I mean, oh, I'm in the wrong business. What's she going to get for her, like, 18th or something? I Alice <laughs> could not believe this. Anyway, the, the, the bidder that won was the guy that had the museum or wanted to put it in the museum. So the flute is actually in display in some museum in America somewhere. Is it in Haynes? It's a Powell. It's a Powell. Is it Haynes or Powell? It's yeah. a Powell, yeah. yeah. Powell number 365. I actually knew that because I think it was made for William Kincaid. Is that right? Not sure. Have you heard the story? Oh, I'm right. just thinking about Varese. Yeah, Dem- and, uh, yes, it was, it was made yeah. for that. Density 21.5. Uh-huh. Which, was made, which is the density ah. of platinum. So I think it's all connected, ah. isn't it? So they, they, this flute was made and then he played it. and I don't know. I could be talking absolute rubbish, but that's what I think. Okay, so last question. This is my favourite question. Now, no cheating to both of you, okay? I need your honest flute player's promise. Question number three. In the current Trevor James catalogue, how many oh, flutes God. are available? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. It may, it may be my company, but I don't know. No, I'm oh, talking about no. C flutes. Sorry, C flutes. I'm not talking about B foot and C foot and stuff. That just counts as one flute. But how many models? So piccolos, oh. altos, basses... And regular flute. Okay. Eric, I'll ah. come to you first. What's your guess? Um, 35. 35. <laughs> okay. JP? Do you, know, do you know how embarrassing this is? <laughs> okay, no. I'm not going to lie. I tried to find a question you wouldn't know the answer to off the top of your head. Go on, what do you think? Have a guess. Oh, God. Um... 22. 22. Okay, so I went online and I clicked on the flute button on the Trevor James website, which I think is yeah. trevorjames.com. Is that right? Yep. Trevor James, right, just yep. in case anyone wants to check this. I clicked on the flute button and I scrolled through and there were listed 13 models, 13 flutes. Which is quite a lot of flutes, actually, if you think. Ah. There's an, an alto, ah. a bass, a piccolo, and then all the, the regular flutes, 13. But I think you guys have a lot more because you have so many materials and stuff like that now. Did you know? Yes, that, we do, yeah. Did you know that they even have a head joint that's made out of crocodile um, skin? <laughs> do they? <laughs> I've seen pictures. Oh, we have one made out of marble. <laughs> have you got a crocodile skin head joint? Are you joking? You know, I... No, I've, yeah, I think Irish seven is oh, having a game. I'm so it. gullible. I believe everything. <laughs> but you have one of marble. Yeah. And does it work? Does it? Can you make a sound on it? No, oh. it's, it's dead as a dodo. Wow. <laughs> but I yeah, it's, it's just it's... when Sorry? I came to um, get an get an alto from you guys, you had so many different materials that I tried. You have loads of different things that you have. Yeah, we, we just like to mess around to see what we can, where we can push things. And, you know, and obviously push things to make things affordable because we're not a Powell, we're not a Haynes, we're not a Brennan, we're not a Mirzal. We just, we're our target niches for afford, affordability in the age to 18, um, age, age category, really. So whatever we do, we try and make it affordable for everybody. Well, as a flute player, we love you guys. We value what you do and we love your instruments and we appreciate everything you did for the flute community. And we're very grateful for you being on and having a chat with us today. Is there anything you want to tell us about before we, before we wrap things up? Is there anything you want to ask or tell us that's coming up that's exciting? Or where can we, everyone check you out as well? Because you have your own podcast and your own Instagrams and Facebooks. And... Well, well, firstly, did I win that point there? Oh, yeah, you Is did. Sorry, I forgot to give the score out to that. <laughs> Hang on. So I need to calculate this. So seven, eight, nine. Oh, yeah, you were closest. You get the point, which means it's a draw to all. Yeah. And I'm actually failing as a quiz master because I don't even have a tiebreaker. <laughs> so we just have to call it a draw, which means nobody wins a prize. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Maybe next time. Maybe next time. So, JP, tell, yeah, us, yeah, um, can... tell us where we can find you. 
Um, well, you can't find me because I'm the Banksy of the flute world. I'm okay. hidden. Well, actually, I'm not hidden. I'm actually not hidden because if you scroll on some of Eric's videos and actually some of yours as well, Stephen, you make an appearance. Um, and on and you scroll down on some of TJ Flute's Instagram page, you will probably find me popping up every now and then, making a few noises on the flute. But there is um, actually yeah, a famous picture. On- like, I see this picture every now and then, and I think it, it must have come from Trevor James. It definitely does. And it's of this gentleman holding a flute in, like, perfect posture position. And I know for a fact it's you, but it's not from the front, so nobody can tell. Do you know the picture I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yes, that is me. But I, I, I guess a lot of people won't assume that's you. No, that's true. They don't. And that's what's quite good. I quite like being sort of... On the peripheries. Oh, before I go, there is one thing I'd like to say is that yeah. the first thing I did when I came to the company to all those years ago was create that picture called Aspiring to Greater Heights. You know the little girl on I the do, phone? yes. It's hanging in my yeah, studio. Um, <laughs> we stopped uh, printing the posters about 10 years ago after it reached half a million prints. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah, I, sort of, yeah so it turned into a little iconic picture. So no, you can get me on TJ Flutes on Instagram or the Flute or at Flute, sorry, on Twitter. You've got oh, of course. Um, at, you must have been in Twitter really early to get that at Flute. I I, I was there virtually as soon as it started. That is amazing. So, yeah. I mean, you could probably sell that for like three hundred million dollars or something insane at Flute. Some some rich flute person that wants to buy a platinum flute for four hundred twenty thousand might buy that off you. His nine-year-old daughter. My <laughs> first nine-year-old old. daughter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Stephen, I'm quite open to offers. Okay, well, maybe no, I'll act I'm... as an agent for you and I can take some kind of 10% commission on the, the sale of AppFlute at Twitter. <laughs> I'm up for that. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but uh, you guys, it's, uh, it's my pleasure to, to know you guys and to work with you because ultimately the company... We can only grow and feed of, of players like yourselves who are willing to take, a, take an instrument and feed back information to us. And it's only by you and the audience that are listening to your uh, podcast that the feedback that all flute companies get that is really, really important. Because without that, flutes would have stayed the same for 30, 40 years. So what you guys do is important at all. Oh, well, we appreciate it. And we appreciate the support and we appreciate you taking the time to be here because we know you're a busy guy. So thank you so much, JP. We're going to leave it there. So um, we will be back very soon for another episode with another special guest. But for now, this is goodbye from Eric. Bye. Goodbye from Jean-Paul. Goodbye. And goodbye from me, Stephen. We'll see you guys soon on the Flutecast.